0: Welcome to Election R&D from the University of Southern California's Center for the Political Future. Our podcast brings together America's top politicians, journalists, academics, and strategists from across the political spectrum for discussions on hot-button issues where we respect each other and respect the truth. We hope you enjoy these conversations. This is an excellent group of people, mostly old friends and acquaintances of mine, and we are here to discuss the future of the grand old party. So let me do some introductions, and then I'll kick it off with a couple of questions, and then through the chat system, we will be delighted to take your questions and comments. We are joined by, and this is a fantastic panel. I'm going to start with Douglas Brinkley, who is the uh, Catherine, I'm going to mispronounce this, I apologize to Catherine a Brown Chair in Humanities and Professor of History at Rice University. He, you've seen him on CNN. Uh, he is a presidential historian. We've read his book, so you can read his work also in Vanity Fair. My old friend Karl Rove is with us. He's a senior advisor. He was a senior advisor to President George W. Bush from 2000 to 2007, Deputy Chief of Staff before that, and he is known by all of us as the architect of President Bush's outstanding presidential campaign. You have seen him on Fox. He is also a highly read columnist for the Wall Street Journal, with a column I particularly enjoyed a day or two ago. So, Carl, good to see you. Anthony Scaramucci, who has been to our uh, our campus before, was a big hit, another great Republican. He's the founder and co-managing partner of Skybridge Capital. He served as White House uh, communications director for a period in July 2017 and in 2016. You can he, mention uh, was, that I got fired, Mike. Everybody <laughs> knows.
1: It's okay. You, get yeah, to, they, you, know, know, you I'm, let it out there, baby. I'm, okay. I'm a dancing monkey here. They
0: give me the script. I read it. You were there for a, a short uh, but, but impactful term. You're also part of the uh, Presidential Transition Team Executive Committee. Um, you you were one of these uh, crazy-ass never-Trumpers like me. You had launched the
1: super PAC called the Right Side Pack. How, how could I be a never-Trumper? I was once a Trumper. Definitionally, you can't call me a never-Trumper. <laughs> well, you were, a, I try, you were I tried a, to help the SOB. I mean, you can't former, call me a trumper former Trumper. Former and that, Trumper. My friend Brett Stevens, my
0: favorite columnist, he joined the New York Times as an op-ed columnist in 2017. He keeps the mailbag there full. Uh, you got to read them if you don't. He won the Pulitzer Prize for his commentary in 2013 and is the author of America in Retreat, The New Isolationism, and The Coming Global Disorder. We're going to be talking about some of that. Uh, Before that, he was former deputy editorial page uh, editor at the Wall Street Journal. And my old friend from our Schwarzenegger days out on the campaign trail, our state party chairwoman of the California GOP, Jessica Milan Patterson. Um, She was also previously CEO co-founder of California Trailblazers, an organization focused on helping elect Republican candidates to state legislative offices, and she is a real warrior. We have worked together in the past, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. All right, so we're going to mostly stay out of the present uh, because that's entertaining enough on its own. But after the inauguration, assuming we all agree with this, maybe somebody has a contrary opinion, uh president biden will come in and and president trump will i won't say he'll step to the sidelight i don't think that's quite likely he will still be a big voice but that's my kickoff question for everybody uh and we'll start with carl and then work our way through do we think the next four years of the republican party and this is kind of conventional wisdom i'm not sure it's true interested in what you all think will it be still a hundred percent about donald trump Will the uh, electeds on the federal level stay as locked into Donald Trump as possible? Will he still rule the Republican Party? Or will it be more dynamic and an evolution in some direction you may want to speculate on? So let's talk about the next four years in the GOP. Carl?
2: Well, uh, he'll play a big role, particularly in the immediate aftermath of the inaugural. But look, between now and 2024 is like passing through several geological ages. We got the Jurassic, <laughs> the Triassic, the Mesozoic, the Paleozoic, the Permian. And, and four years in politics is a long, long time. And well, I think he will. I think you're right. He will not want to walk off the stage. He'll want to maintain a position of dominance. He probably is talking to himself about running again when he's 78 in 2024. But a lot of things can happen, and a lot of things will happen, and new faces and new voices will emerge. I do think there's going to be an argument inside the Republican Party. Uh, there, Trumpism is not a, a, a coherent philosophy. It's not like conservatism. You know, he he thinks Hayek is a guy who. Uh, has a great uh, bespoke suit operation down on Fifth Avenue, and and Von Mises uh, was a was yeah. a great deli guy out in out in uh, out on the Queens. So, but there will be an effort to sort of try and define what you know uh, MAGA means, what 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 America First means, and there are going to be some fissures in the party as a result. We're going to have a battle between sort of the free traders and the and and the more protectionist elements. We're going to have uh, some struggles between the people who are. Uh, you know, sort of internationalists and who believe America has an important role to play in the world in confronting uh, China and Russia and uh, global terrorism and those that want to uh, are sort of neo uh, we'll have a big battle, uh, suspect, not a battle, we'll have a discussion about what do we need to do as a party, as both a conservative party or as a Trump party, to uh, hold on to this coalition of blue-collar working-class people uh, and and there'll be also a lot of talk about what do we need to do to get back the suburbanites and what do we need to do to keep growing among Latinos and African-Americans. And this will be a robust debate. God knows where it goes, but it'll be a lot of fun to watch.
0: Douglas, what do you think?
3: Uh, well, I agree with what Carl said, uh, but, you know, Donald Trump is going to be still the King Kong of the Republican Party. He's going to go down one would guess to Mar a Lago and try to build an empire right next to Rush Limbaugh, meaning he's going to try to be a media superstar, build on his followers, and try to kind of control the Republican Party in exile. Whether Trump decides to run again and challenge Joe Biden in four years ago, it's it's plausible. I mean, uh, Grover Cleveland, as we all know, um, was able to be president and then not and then run again and and have non-consecutive terms. Um, we don't know fully what Donald Trump's plans are for Ivanka and Donald Trump Jr. Are they are, were they just defenders of father or are they really interested in entering the political arena in earnest? One thing is certain, Trump will continue his incendiary style. Uh, From day one, he will be trying to destroy um, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. And I would guess he's going to lose some of his box office appeal, but he might have 25% of the Republican Party that are diehard Trump, whatever he does. Uh, Meaning if he ran a third party, they would stick with him. And it might make Trump something of a kingmaker, um, four years down the line. Can you get the Republican nomination if Donald Trump is madly tweeting and pontificating on the airways against you? Uh, I personally see the future of the Republican Party and candidates like Nikki Haley and, and, um, and, and Senator Rubio. But um, how do they navigate Trump? I think if anybody in, in the Republican world has got to figure out how to get around him, now, it might be that um, the New York district um, does it f- for the Republican Party in the sense that Trump might be might try to figure out how to pardon himself of federal crimes, but he still is going to f- face a lot of uh, civil lawsuits. And we'll have to see whether he gets indicted or what, uh, whether he has to pay back a lot of money, what his woes will be like. One thing's for certain from me, writing books on presidents, and I would hope Carl might agree with this. And oddly, George W. Bush might be an example not that didn't do this, but it's kind of odd and weird when you have all of this power in this megaphone. You're the most powerful voice in the world, and then suddenly you're a citizen. You're in retirement. Yes, you have a secret service around you, but power disappears, and a depression sinks in. So I would keep our eyes now on, Florida, on um, Georgia, does Donald Trump have a role in Georgia Senate races? Is he going to try to be a leader of the Republican party and hold massive rallies there and bring out the Trump vote? So media pundits, if the Republicans win, will give Trump credit for that, or is he going to sulk and kind of stay away um, from Georgia or, or do it in a half-hearted way saying the Republican party, let me down. My last point, Comment is Mitch McConnell has turned out to be a very historic figure. I mean, for Mitch McConnell, he got three Supreme Court justices through the Senate. That's extraordinary. He was able to ward off Obamaism for a while. And now he may be the most powerful Republican in Washington. And he does have a relationship with Joe Biden. And I'm most curious to see whether McConnell thinks he wants to deal with With Biden on infrastructure or something uh, for a few months, uh, just to reassure the country that the White House can work with Congress? Or will Mitch McConnell do no business with Biden Mm -hmm. act, which is what Trump surely is going to be recommending?
0: Yeah, we're going to get into that a little because I think it's a huge question. Brett, what's your take? And I want to hang a lantern on something Carl said that I agree with. Under the Trump cult of personality, there is a stress between Trump populism and the traditional things the Republican Party had stood for. Um, Is populism going to have the muscle, or do you think there'd be more of a revert to me? And I'm curious about your take on that as well as in general. Are we in the – the the media would tell you we're going to be in the total grip of Donald Trump for the next four years. I'm a skeptic, but what do you think? Well, I mean, it's typically the case
4: that – Presidents who don't achieve reelection just shuffle gracefully off the stage, plan their presidential libraries, um, attend charity events, raise money for hurricane victims and so on. Obviously, I think all of us are in agreement that that is not going to be the case with this president. And I think he's going to, in fact, play a very damaging role for the Republican party until he is finally not only off the stage in a personal capacity, but off the stage in a historical capacity. And what I mean by that, Mike, is that the conservatives or the conservative movement is going to have to have a large and robust argument about whether Trump was a net positive for the movement or a net negative. Now I, I'm, as you know, of the view that he's been a tremendous net negative. But the, you know, it's worth laying out the the positive case. Um, to everyone's surprise, he expanded the base of the Republican Party um, beyond what a supposed centrist like Mitt Romney was able to achieve in 2012. The fact that uh, Trump was able to attract significant um, a significant share of the Latino vote to expand on the African American vote to expand on the LGBT Q vote. Those are those are points that I think need to be reckoned with. And he was able more than that to mobilize extraordinary enthusiasm among basically white working class folks who had lost faith in a GOP that seemed to them um, essentially a kind of a a corporatist Wall Street type of of Party now laid against that has to be uh, one has to take an account of the fact that Trump also turned off a generation of voters, millennials, younger people to a GOP that they I think are going to see perhaps for the rest of their lives as associated with bigotry, nativism, protectionism, no nothing, no nothingism. I mean, the, the extent to which Trump was a force of repulsion more than he was a force of attraction, I think, is is another factor that the GOP is going to need to consider. So this is a debate that's going to play out in terms of the question of politics. It's also going to have to play out in terms of the question of policy. I mean, I my objection to Trump from the beginning was that I don't think of Donald Trump as a conservative in the mold of conservative leaders who made me a Republican back before I could uh, even vote in terms of a stand on NATO, on immigration, on, uh, um, on trade on one, one point after another, he struck me as representing a brand of conservatism or a brand of the right, which was fundamentally illiberal, which didn't belong to the grand John Stuart sense liberal tradition that I always thought, um, the republican party was a better steward of than 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 the Demo, uh, than the democratic party and that's a fight that i think is going to play out as 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 uh, Doug, i think rightly mentioned between the kind of nikki haley version of uh, of the party who just literally embodies a certain strand of republicanism a, a strand that favors immigration that believes in opportunity that is multi uh, 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 multi ethnic and and multiracial against a very a very different strand, which is essentially um, a part a part of America that thinks that every other ethnic group is trying to take something away from them. That it's a zero sum game uh, uh, zero sum game that they're playing. So that that ideological uh, argument is also going to have to take place. And my sense is that this is going to be a battle, Mike, that is going to last well over a single term. Just as the Democrats had to to go through three election cycles of Carter, of Mondale, and Dukakis before they reached the promised land of triangulation, a middle way, and a more centrist uh, Democratic Party under Bill Clinton, I think Republicans are going to have to experience more than one electoral loss before they settle on what sort of party they want to be. Last point I'll make, you know, Donald Trump said one thing and one thing only that I thought was extremely incisive. In back in 2016, he said, "Remember, this is not the conservative party; it's the Republican party." Uh, and what he was sort of hearkening to was a tradition of the Republican Party, which looks a little bit different from the one I like of Hayek and von Mises and Milton Friedman and uh you know the uh these guys, and so in that sense, Trump really did have a vision for the party. I just think it is politically going to turn out to be disastrous, and I think it's ideologically um uh, well shameful, but now you know you i think you you <laughs> knew that I thought that before I opened my mouth so uh
0: yeah That's no fair. i I'm with you. We sometimes run rather short on primary voters. uh my road to serfdom tattoo is yet to. Swing a huge block, but yes, uh, at least in the modern Republican Party, Jessica, you run the the Republican Party here in California, the largest megastate, a very blue state uh, with pockets of uh, pockets of red and purple. What is your prediction? Do you think two years from now, if we can we can trick you into staying running the party, you'll be given standby President Trump? We you know he's announced his committee. We can hardly wait to get him back in the White House. Or will it be about new faces? Will the conversation rotate a little? What, what's your view from kind of a, the grassroots activist world and the, your experiences as a state party chair here?
5: Well, certainly, I think that he brought new people to the table, right? Um, we had the largest turnout in our history. And um, which is is exciting in California is that, you know, for a long time, California Democrats, mainstream media would tell us that we could win in low, uh, low turnout races or we could win in special elections. But um, having this high turnout here in California, we not only saw uh, success on our congressional side, but we also saw success on ideas. Um, so Proposition 15, which would, would have, uh, attacked Prop 13 with commercial property. Um, Proposition 16, which would have brought back affirmative action. Uh, Proposition 22, which was essentially a repeal of AB 5 with the gig economy, um, and independent contractors. Um, so we saw a lot of Californians saying what California Democrats are doing is not the road that we want to take. And so the ideas are winning here. And I think that it's going to take, and I think Leader McCarthy uh, did an amazing job throughout the entire country of recruiting fantastic candidates. And I know we'll talk about Congress going forward and A little bit later, but I think that those are the things that we have to look at. What are the things that we agree on? How can we find a way to take this coalition, these new coalitions that haven't necessarily been in tune to Republican ideas before, and bring it all together to to move forward with with new people?
0: Excellent. So, Anthony, I'll let you back clean up here and I'll add a little sidebar to the question for you. Do you think the finance class of the Republican Party, the larger donors, are going to settle in and enjoy kind of a Trump protectionism and a hostility to free trade, even if it's working at the ballot box. Uh, So I'm kind of curious about that constituency of the party, as well as your overall view on does Trump have a lock on on the future or is it going to be highly litigated uh, from a more traditional conservatism?
1: Well, let me answer that first part first. I again, I just you follow the money and you could look at the donor community on Wall Street and large, what I would say, CEO donors. You could see that spigot drying up for the president in this presidential cycle. So I don't think they're fans of that. Uh, I think they like more establishment oriented Republican Party politics based on the principles of the Republican Party. And I think some of those people were frankly alarmed when the Republican party had no platform coming out of the Republican convention. And and it seemed like it indicated that it was going to be a party centered around Mr. Trump's personality. So, um, you know, I think that stuff always ends in tears. That's a form of demagoguery. Um, but I'll just say two things. And so we can get, we can advance the ball here. He got 72 million votes or, or likely to be 72 million votes when everything is, is calculated. And, that is a sensational outcome in some respects, except for the fact that it was not the highest vote total. Obviously, the vice president got more, uh, but I think that uh, we have to look at that, and we have to see either either that's a signal or a noise. Uh, the, the Trumpists will say that it's a signal that these people love Mr. Trump, the Bellicosity of his rhetoric, the bullying, the mishandling of the pandemic, the lying about the science of the pandemic, the politicizing of the mass, the destruction of the economy, the denigration of democratic leaders around the world and the praise of disp- despots around the world, no matter unconditional love for President Trump, 72 million people voted for him. Or it could be a noise and not a signal. And it could be a representation that there's a tremendous amount of people in the country that feel left out of the system. Uh, they feel unplugged from that system. And I can speak about my own family. I grew up in a blue-collar family. We were economically aspirational because my dad had a reasonably good hourly living wage. And so we were able to live in the middle class. I would never disavow his work ethic by saying otherwise. Uh, But those very same families in those very same jobs, the real economic income now is down about 25%. And so that family goes from economically aspirational to economically desperational in 30 years and it's very sad to see and so those people are drawn to mr trump they're drawn to what he's saying he represents their anger he's an avatar for their anger and so my suggestion to republican candidates potential presidential candidates and the democrats for that matter is that we have to heal those people we have to find policies that work for those people uh protectionism in my opinion is not the answer But long term planning on infrastructure, jobs training, long term planning on education. Uh, uh, I would submit to the people on this panel and rhetorically to candidates around the country where is the 10 year plan for America, the 20 year plan for America? Where's our industrial policy plan, our manufacturing plan? How are we going to handle the global competition? What are we doing on jobs training? Uh, How are we going to right size and even the K through 12? public educational system where we know, depending on where you grow up, it could be good or bad. And so these are the things that are coming. And my last point that I'll make, that is a noise, by the way. Those people voted for themselves. I don't see them voting for Mr. Trump and all of that bad behavior that he represents. I think that they're voting for themselves and they're trying to send a message to people that they feel left out of this system And it's incumbent upon politicians, future politicians, to engage them and get them back into the system with good policies, which will dissipate their anger and will end this specter of nationalism and this specter of populism.
0: So here we are looking at the next four years and maybe longer, as Brett says. I kind of agree with that. But we are going to have some election cycles coming forward. As as Carl said, you know, politics can change a lot quickly. Four years is forever squared. But I think the average Republican ambitious elected official right now, of which there's no shortage, particularly younger, look at Kamala Harris and say, "Ah, left wing of the Democratic Party. We saw down ballot that the Democratic Party is still very vulnerable. We actually gained seats in the Congress, which nobody expected. We are likely to hold the Senate, depending on Louisiana, which I would have to favor the Republicans in. If anybody disagrees, please speak up. Who are some of the faces that are going to break through? Um, we heard about um, Nikki Haley. I think Dan Crenshaw, the congressman from Texas, is going to grow to be quite a star. Who else do we think may emerge? Because part of, part of having this factional debate is to have champions, people who may be thinking of prosecuting their argument through a Republican primary in the future, or at least trying to break through in the midterm elections. And this is for anybody who wants to address it. We're, we're just all kind of take a shot, and I'll try to navigate so we don't have to go around every time. What do we think? New faces. Anybody have some ideas on that or what it might mean?
5: Well, the only disagreement that I would have is that uh Georgia, not Louisiana. Um, but certainly oh, sorry, think, misspoke. That's okay. I think that we'll be seeing a lot of new faces and, and maybe some faces that we've seen around, but coming more to the the front front uh front side of of the talk of of what's going to happen in four years. Um, I think someone like Senator Tim Scott, who has talked about opportunity zones and has a different um, perspective than some of the Republican candidates that we've seen in the past. I think that We've seen with um, both Leader McCarthy and Leader McConnell. They have just done a phenomenal job on the national level with what they've been able to do in both of their houses. So I think that we will see certainly candidates like that and candidates like Dan Crenshaw. We also have an enormous amount of um, new freshman members, um, the most diverse class of women of minorities, of veterans. Um, And I think we're going to be hearing a lot about them. And I think that the Republican Party would be well served by making sure those new faces are out there in the front so we can see them.
0: Anybody think Pence will be a factor going forward? You know, I
3: thought one of the biggest mistakes Donald Trump made was keeping Mike Pence. (laughs) Uh, It's like Bush 41 keeping Dan Quayle back in 1992, a lightweight from Indiana. Pence added nothing to um, to, uh, Trump. And imagine if Donald Trump surprised instead of going after Hunter Biden, which was such an idiotic Thing to do in the fall. What if, what if Trump would have picked Nikki Haley to be his vice president in August? It may have been a different outcome. Um, you know, there it is the time of women in politics and Nikki Haley is just a superstar and she's somehow able to, the you know, she's one of the few people to emerge out of the Trump years when she was UN ambassador to not be leaving four years later, hated by Donald Trump. And she seems to be able to do a um, dance dance with um, Donald Trump Jr. in a way. So I think she has a possibility of becoming this big new leader four years from now. And that's if Biden runs for reelection. And then if it's Kamala Harris versus Nikki Haley, Nikki Haley's got a extraordinary um, shot at that. So I think the future of the Republican Party has to look at women, has to look at minorities, and has to look at ways to bring more Latino Voters into the fold, losing Arizona, the Republicans this round. Uh, You know that it was embarrassing for the Republican Party.
4: The only point I would add, I mean, I I agree entirely with both what Jessica and and Douglas just said. I think there's a middle generation of Republican leaders who are going to be skipped over. Um, I I don't think I don't see a a presidential future for Marco Rubio. I don't see a presidential future for uh, for Ted Cruz. Um, not only because they were so damaged by 20 uh, uh 2016 but they're sort of no uh known quantities the one person whose name um wasn't mentioned uh, uh, and i think is going to be a force one way or another is is tom cotton of arkansas i think he rep- he represents if i can just be brutal you know trump with a much higher iq um and uh um sort of speaks has the kind of Trumpist instincts. Of course, he made a splash in my own newspaper a little uh, earlier this year. Um, uh, but he's uh, he's he's a highly intelligent. He's probably, in my view, the most intelligent, most articulate uh, uh, expositor of um, the Trumpian worldview of any senator out there. And outside of a member of Trump's own family, I can hardly think of a more perfect heir to what Donald Trump represents in politics than Senator Cotton.
0: How does Nikki Haley uh, navigate that? Does she run as the old Nikki Haley, who was kind of an opportunity conservative, or does she try to go in the Trumpist populist direction, which is quite a spin, and can she pull it off with authenticity? Because I don't know if you can have real Trumpism without the cult of Trump. Carl, what what do you think?
2: She got to run as Nikki Haley because you put your finger on it. Authenticity matters more than anything else. I'd like to add to the list, though, I think you're right We, we mentioned Pence, Crenshaw, Haley, and Cotton as possibilities. I slightly disagree with uh, with Brett on I think Rubio does have a future because he's capable he's a smart enough guy that he's capable of, re, of figuring out what what the new era requires and what new things need, the party needs to adopt to and and offering him, but I agree with him on Cruz. I think Cruz having narrowly lost narrowly won in 2018, nearly lost in Texas. Think about it. He wins by two and a you know two and a half percent. Uh, you know his his uh, more senior colleague John Cornyn this time around wins by almost nine uh, points. Um, but I, we're leaving some other names out of people who are going to at least think about this. And part of you know if you want to run for president, you you get to be considered if you jump into the fray. Uh, Hogan Baker of Massachusetts, Christy Nome. Is there a reason why South Dakota is running? Travel uh, commercials on Fox <laughs> yes. News. Uh, you know, uh, Holly of Missouri wants to run. Uh, Mike Pompeo. I wouldn't be surprised to see him begin to maneuver. And you know what? There are going to be people that we hit, We either don't know their names today. Rick Scott wants to run. I'm yeah, sorry, I left scary. him off. So, so there are going to be people that are that have an interest that we wouldn't think about today. And there are going to be some people emerge whose names we don't even know today. 2022. What we, what we learned from 2016 is. Is that you don't need to spend, you know, this is not the Republican or Democratic parties of the past where you need to spend years toiling in the, in the, in the vineyards, earning your chance to stand in line and moving on up uh, in prominence. You know, the new world of celebrity and social media means somebody could conceivably pop into this thing after the 2016 and the 2022 midterms and be a real contender by the time
0: we get to 2024. Yeah, the midterms are definitely star makers. I think that's a very, very good point. And with social media now, it's not the old day, you know, that Carl and I know where you fly around meeting rich guys to bundle money to break through in New Hampshire and ride the surf. Now, the right message, social media, and a little fame can go a long way. It's, It's rocket fuel.
2: Murphy, you moved us into the main era. This was Murphy was was overdoing it. We used to be around when you had to ride the trains to meet people. I mean, come on, man. <laughs>
0: yeah, no, no. Uh, I remember that mule train in New Hampshire in 84. Um, yeah, exactly. I want to get back to something Brett said, because it's something very interesting to me and some of the never-Trumper uh, types. If putting Trump aside and the debate in the party is all these ambitious candidates trying to navigate that, what this new conservatism is, seeing that Trump populism sells, at least in some places, you can argue for all the pearl clutching, and I've been a big part of it, about the demographic problems the Republican Party has as the country becomes less Caucasian. It was Trump who is ringing the bell in the Rio Grand Valley. He, 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 The lightning bolt that hit Miami-Dade County is amazing. 20 point uh, difference. 22 from Hillary Clinton uh, moving in a Republican direction. So you know, people are going to, like like Tom Cotton and others, Josh Holly, are going to try to do this trumpism light. You might have Trump there, which makes it a problem for trumpism light. Who of that group do we think would be the champion of the more traditional growth and opportunity conservatism, not as much the grievance stuff that Trump has, has turned into some political success? Anybody in particular look to fight that corner, or do you think they're all just going to try to navigate it kind of with PTSD from 2016? Could I offer a dissent on Miami and
2: South Texas? Yeah, sure. It, it wasn't necessarily Trumpism. Yeah, the the persona machismo might have mattered. What 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 happened there? Ideas. I'll tell you what happened in South Texas. They are in. They have been enjoying because of the fracking revolution a prosperity that they have not seen forever. You know, you're driving a truck. You're making one hundred and ten thousand dollars a year. Your wife is working at the is, is got her small business, or she's working at the. At the, at the diner, and you're making a bunch of money, and those Latinos in the Rio Grande Valley, just like you saw out in southeastern uh, New Mexico, said, wait a minute, we got a party that wants to get rid of my job. My job is dependent, or the prosperity of my community is dependent upon oil and gas, and the, those people want to do away with it. And we had local, effective local Republican leaders who emphasized, this is about your job. In Miami, we have Cuban Americans, Venezuelan Americans, lots of South uh, former residents of South America who are now U.S. citizens. We got a lot of people from Puerto Rico. The middle class of Puerto Rico has decamped for the United States and saying these people are socialists over here and they sort of like socialism. They've seen socialism in their family or their lifetimes or their family history. So I don't think this was drawn simply by the persona of Donald Trump. I think this was more drawn by one thing we haven't talked about here, which is the contrast between the Republican Party and what is emerging as the ascendant wing of the Democratic Party and defund the police and socialism and anti-military and anti-patriotism. I mean, you want to talk about a patriotic people. You go to South Texas. They, they go to church. They, they're pro-life. They're Catholic. They're pro-entrepreneurial. They love to start small businesses. They're dependent upon energy. They volunteer for the military at a far higher rate than the rest of the population. And suddenly they've got a Democratic Party that looks entirely different than what their local Democrats look like. And suddenly they begin thinking, maybe I ought to vote for the party that cares about my job. So it's not just the man himself. And in there is something for the future of the Republican Party that we ought to pay attention to.
4: I would second very much everything uh, Carl said. Um, I think I'm the closest person on this panel to being Latino in the sense that I grew up in Mexico. My father was uh, was from Mexico. I only say that, I don't consider myself Latino, but I only say that because people ought to remember that what the Latino community is, is an extraordinarily diverse uh, and surprising community that is um, allergic to being typecast in the way that I think too much of the Democratic Party attempted to uh, typecast, uh, typecast Latinos. And I should say one thing that played very much in the Republican Party's favor is that so much of the democratic party uh tried to talk itself um over a precipice in this election by precisely some of the rhetoric that uh that Carl uh uh that Carl mentioned uh republicans will be hurt if biden uh actually manages to run a relatively uh moderate administration that moves politics toward the center but if democratic voices continue to be exemplified by people like uh, AOC or other members of, of the squad, uh, uh, Republicans are going, are going to benefit from that. There is an opportunity for the Republican Party to, um, to broaden things out because, you know, as the Latino community exemplifies and by the way, a great many more African Americans in this cycle than, than the last, they are not comfortable simply uh, checking boxes for, uh, for um, white liberal progressives in terms of how they're supposed to vote?
5: Well, I actually am a Latina. Oh, sorry. Okay. That's so. okay. And, you know, one of the things that we've had to focus on here in California is engagement uh, within these communities that have been neglected by our party over the years. And it isn't so much, um, I, I hate to use the word outreach. The word outreach to me implies that you have to reach out to someone. And we actually have leaders that are Republicans within all of these communities. Here in California, we have an amazing program that we work with called Grow Elect. Grow Elect focuses on Latino Republicans, mostly at the local level, but getting them elected, even though they're not running with that R behind their name. And what we had to do at the state party level was expand the message. Talk about the silly things that California Democrats have done here and how it affects your everyday life. The mainstream media and California Democrats, they don't want to talk about any of their failures. They want to talk about whatever the 3 a.m. tweet was. We had to talk about those very real things that affected their everyday lives, um, whether it was their small business, um, their uh, right to practice their faith, um, choice in public education, those things that affected their everyday lives. And that engagement within the Latino community has been critical for us to help move our numbers. We've registered over 625,000 new Republicans in the two years that I've been chair. And we had to bring the message of what was happening up in Sacramento to them um, because it wasn't being done before. The engagement is so critical within the Latino community, and we have leaders within that community. We just need to arm them with the tools and resources so that they can deliver those messages.
0: So, look, I, I concur. I was making the argument, I think, Trump partisans will, that he has been a, a miracle man of Latinos. And, and Carl's right. If you look at Florida, Miami-Dade County, because of the socialist overhang, is a special demography. You go up in Orange County, where a lot of the Puerto Ricans moved to, there was no magic Trump success at all. So it, it is highly uneven and issue-based. But I, I want to get back to the core question. There are no shortage of people who are going to do some version of Trump populism from 100% if Donald Trump runs again, he'll threaten to, I'm not sure he will, or his son or somebody, to the 75% maybe of a Tom Cotton, who's going to be the champion of the old school stuff? Or is it so out of favor and so politically unworkable, at least in the, what people perceive right now, that, that nobody will take that space? Well, it, it seems to me that yeah. our panel's
3: looking at the Republican Party without Donald Trump and who's going to be the new, and that's because everybody on here is in a big Trump per se. But Donald Trump's alive. Donald Trump is the Republican Party in people's minds right now. And the idea that he's going to just go into a funk and go gently into the night, um, you know, a lot's going to depend on what happens to Joe Biden. If the Biden vaccine for COVID works and Biden gets credit for it, great. But what if the vaccine can't get distributed properly? What if the fact of the matter is we get fall into a recession coming up? Donald Trump's going to go make some money, lick his chops for more power and he's going to be back. So when we throw these names of people out, we're making the presumption that Donald Trump's not going to go for it again. And I think Trump's going to go for it again. There's nothing in his personality that would show him not doing what Theodore Roosevelt did in 1912 with the bull moose party come in uh, and smash down the gauntlet. I can't see him giving up power, admitting he lost to Joe Biden, who he called the worst candidate in us history and not try to settle that score down the line. So I would say the Republican Party has a gigantic Trump problem.
0: Oh, I concur with that. What I'm trying to do is Trump's the known quantity, and we know he'll try to. Now, the Southern District of New York, there are a bunch of prosecutors there who have other ideas. There are a bunch of debt holders, but he will try. I'm I'm trying to look at what we never talk about, which is is there even a specter of potential opposition? But let me do a quick round robin. How many people think Donald Trump will be most likely, not certain the Republican nominee in four years, because I agree, he'll want to be. I think he will not be. Carl? I agree. I agree.
1: I agree. There's no chance. He's he's not going to subject himself to this level of humiliation. That's the thing you guys are not recognizing about his insecure personality. There's no chance of him running again. I just want to say, though, some of these names that you mentioned, the kowtowing to Donald Trump is going to cost them because – as uh, Mr. Rove is pointing out, it's a 500-year, maybe a 500-million-year period over the next four years, and if Joe Biden gets some centrist wins on the table, it may change the whole style dynamic by 2024. You got a guy like Pompeo saying that he's, he's looking for a smooth transition in the second Trump administration. Uh, if he's kowtowing to Trump like that, how is he going to handle Vladimir Putin? So I think a lot of that stuff is going to come up on replay in 2024. So for me, uh, I'm looking at guys like Larry Hogan and Charlie Baker. Uh, You guys probably think I'm probably too old-fashioned, but I think these guys are doers, and they can effectuate policy in a sensible way without all the caustic nonsense. I'm fascinated with this question. Will people pay a price? And, you know,
0: I, I want them to. I want the Home Improvement Commission from Tin Men with the ceiling fans and everything, but I'll bet against it. I think I think it's been around too long. Maybe others disagree. They ought to, Uh, because we haven't talked about that—the moral overhang of Trump. But but you know we're the future of the party, so we're I'm trying to leave Trump in at least a big shadow in the rearview mirror, if not totally filling the mirror. And I'm still looking for that champion of normalcy. It could be Nikki Haley if she reverts, but. Her career has been defined by a certain expediency. And right now, the the at least in the last year, the winds have blown in another direction.
5: And I think that we started that conversation with you saying, notwithstanding Trump, we're putting him to the side. Who is going to be? Um, because yeah, could I there believe, be? Yeah, I do believe that, you know, this president did things that we have not seen. Uh, In the past from from presidential candidates and from presidents, Um, you know, we talk about in California 2016, we didn't lose a single congressional seat. In 2018, you look at a seat like Congressman David Valadeo, Um, 1000 Republicans in Kings County alone that voted in 2016 stayed home in 2018. David Valadeo lost by 900 votes. So there is an excitement that is wrapped around this president. And I I think that that is something that needs to be harnessed. And we need to do a better job as Republicans of keeping that coalition together and building it.
3: Douglas, I think you had something to say. I just wanted to say one possibility and I hate to keep going back to Nikki Haley, but I just find her a phenomenal candidate. Um, it's this friendship that Nikki Haley has with Donald Trump Jr. And he is like a, a, a pit bull, as you all know, on tweets and retreat. There might be a way that Donald Trump, if he thought his son could be a VP with somebody like Nikki Haley, with her being the the good cop and Don Jr. being the old populist, if they could form a kind of coalition that, that might work. I don't know if Donald Trump Jr. has the, um, the, the chops for that, but he certainly has the appetite for the spotlight. And it has, the only way I see Donald Trump really receding would be if he felt his son or daughter had a major, major role in the Republican Party. And I keep going back to 2016 when Trump won. You guys are putting candidates up, and if you had eight of them, and then Donald Trump You're going to see him win primary and primary and debates. I think that he is, you have a Trump problem, and it's better to fix it early in the Republican Party to find how can we placate Trump so he doesn't run again. Uh, And that is going to take a lot of imagination because I don't see an ego like his sitting still, watching his Republican Party now leave him. Um, it's, it's, it may be something, it's not human nature for a guy like that to do that.
4: You know, I just want to add something slightly, I guess, in contrast to, to Jessica's uh, comment, you know, Donald, remarkably, Donald Trump's share of the senior vote fell, um, as far as I could see from, from the exit polling. And I think a large part of that was, um, what we're not taking into account sufficiently Donald Trump repelled many, many people because of his personal affect, behavior, demeanor. And a Republican Party, I think, really does have to come to grips with that as the traditionally conservative party. Remember, this was the party that bemoaned the death of outrage back in 1996 or 7 during uh, the Clinton years. And under Trump, it wholly abandoned, or it seemed to have wholly abandoned that sense that moral character uh, and um, comportment, uh, presidential comportment were, uh, were significant factors. Well, in fact, they did hurt the Republican Party today. And until you get a Republican leader who sort of represents a clean break from that style of governance um, or misgovernance that, that Trump brought, uh, brought with him, I think Republicans are going to continue to struggle. One quick point I want to make is that other than George W Bush in 2004 the Repu- no republican candidate has won the majority of the american uh, electorate in this century and at some point that's going to catch up with uh, with the republican party that's that's not that's not something republicans can afford not not to reckon with that their that their presidents can't win a simple majority of uh, of the country even when they end up as president
0: So, Carl, I'm going to ask you to get out your architectural toolkit here. Looking forward, just in the interest of the party, uh, not any particular candidate, what do you think is the best architecture uh, as as we move forward to the next presidential election, knowing the demography of the country is changing, knowing that at least under Biden, the Democrats are starting to do very well with college-educated people? You know, there are disturbing trends in the numbers, and we did lose by, you know, 6.57 million votes in a huge turnout election. What would you, what do you have in your mind as the best kind of evolving path to success?
2: Well, we've got to have a ticket that represents more of the diversity of America. I think we've got to have a ticket that that has to do uh, simultaneously hold on to this sort of more rural, more blue collar, more uh, high school and some college educated uh, part of the electorate at the same time that we regain our support in the. Uh, suburbs to some degree, and we build on the successes that we have available to us in the African-American and Latino communities. Sounds easy, just one, two, three, four, five, but it's really, really hard to do. And I hope these candidates, prospective candidates, are thinking about the end, you know, not the beginning, but the end. Where do I want to end up on election night 2024? What kind of a coalition can be put together to elect me to that? And how do I begin from the very early days of my interest in this potential at building exactly that kind of coalition? But look, we've seen it. I mean, we're seeing it. We saw it in this election. I mean, we had, particularly in the House races and also in the, in the, uh, in the state legislative races, we were supposed to get wiped out in the state legislative races, and we didn't. And maybe one of the reasons we didn't is, is that's where you see the change in the nature of candidates happen. We, we, at the state and local level, we ran more women. We ran more Latinos, more African-Americans, more Asian-Americans. Look at look at California. We're going to pick up a seat with Valadao in the Central Valley, a Chinese-American and a Korean-American and an Hispanic-American in in, so- in Southern California. And, and one white guy who, who used to be in the Congress from an adjoining district and lost there and went, went to a safer district in order to get himself reelected. Are uh, elected again to Congress, so I, I think that, you know Miami. I mean, I, you know, we we ran two terrific candidates, a Latina and a Latino, and they did fantastic. And why? Because they spoke to the desires of their community and represented the diversity that South Florida. Is. So, uh, you know, I hope that we've got some good candidates there that are thinking not not about in the short run how do I differentiate myself from Trump. That's always easier to do. How do I how am I going to make myself differentiate myself from him. Instead, you want candidates who are thinking, who am I and what is my, how do I look on my best day that will allow me to attract people? Where do I want, what's the message that I think that will draw people to me over the course of this campaign? Thinking about themselves and their message before they start thinking about, well, how do I differentiate myself from him?
3: I just want to ask all of my my fellow panelists the question because I don't have the answer. I guess I was fumbling with one with um, uh, Nikki Haley and uh, Donald Trump, uh, Trump Jr. But how does the Republican Party see itself as two and make it one? How do you t- keep the populist wing and morph it with something that's considered more of the you know, Lincoln Project people or more of what some of you are? Who, who is the human being that can play, be in both camps and be accepted by both?
2: Well, wait, 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 wait a minute. But Lincoln, the Lincoln Project is not a camp. It's a, it's a small platoon of people who went out and made a bunch of money going after right. not, yeah.
3: only well, Trump, not, not only Donald Trump. Don't worry. Not call. only Donald Trump. I just meant how to morph the pack. two together. Yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah. the old yeah. Republican part, the conservatives and the populists. Yeah,
0: old Nikki and question mark new Nikki. You know, what's the blend? That's what Josh Hawley and uh, Tom Cotton are trying to figure out. Yeah. And, you know, we'll find out. But Carl's right. You You reverse engineer a campaign from what is your winning edge in an authentic way That'll put you there in Election Day. But, you know, Trump remains a big thing to either get through or get around, at least in the short term. There was a time when Sarah Palin could throw lightning bolts in the Republican Party, and now you can hire her to open a car wash. So, you know, I, I, I think things change quickly, but people ought to have their own thing. And and that's that's going to be the fascinating debate in the party. Um, And, and Trump will at least be noise, so he's not going away. He'll be part of that equation for people.
1: Yes. Well, I just want to say to Douglas that I, I think it's what Carl said earlier, like it could be somebody that we're not even thinking of right now. It could be somebody that is authentic and can grab the attention of the media, but then also can uh, empathize with the people that have voted for Mr. Trump and also sound reasonably sensible to the you know, establishment, if you will. And maybe this just isn't something really we've thought of. And I remember Charles Krautheimer, I think Carl will remember him being on TV, saying that the 2016 uh, candidates were, from a resume perspective, among the most impressive that he had seen in his lifetime. And that was before deus ex machina, Donald Trump entered the scene and literally just melead all of them. So there, there's, you know, there, there could be that situation that we're just not fully thinking of. You know, Somebody like Dan Crenshaw, as an example to me, I think has that sort of charisma and has that sort of energy that might be able to capture both camps.
4: And that's, I think, Anthony makes an important point. We forget that one of the reasons why Trump electrified the Republican Party is that he was not—he did not come from the political class—and right. so we shouldn't rule out the possibility of um, the man who has the, the lightning in the bottle that that Douglas is asking about um, will will be someone who simply is not. Um, uh, in a governor's seat or, or, or Senate seat uh, um, at all, um, but also comes from, from outside of politics. That itself, by the way, I think is a perfectly healthy development in American politics. I just wish it had been some CEO other than Mr. Trump who had, uh, who had filled that role.
0: Yeah, as long as it's not a Kardashian. Okay, I've got to get to questions here. This is one we get a lot. This is from Gary Ray Gray. On the new GOP faces... What about the QAnon congresswoman? What will the GOP do about people that seem to be so extreme? And I'm a deep state android, so I can't answer that question. But maybe uh, somebody else has an opinion on on the on the lunatic fringe part where they define the party.
2: William F. Buckley famously threw the Birchers out of the Republican Party uh, or out of the conservative movement, and Republicans had better deal with this uh, QAnon uh, phenomenon by taking a strong stand against it. I mean, people who at the core of it believe that there is an international conspiracy of prominent Democrats involved in a pedophile, uh, a giant pedophile t- trafficking ring, are, are, are people are hard to argue with and, uh, and and impossible to defend. And we ought to take a strong stand against them just as uh, as Buckley led the conservative movement in read, reading the Birchers out of, out of the movement. And the great Hubert
0: Humphrey threw the commies out of the DFL. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Uh, okay. This is a question from Adam Jackman. Ronald Reagan protested the idea of government by mystery in his run to the presidency. Trump clearly used a, a strain of this identity in his opposition to the quote swamp in DC. Do you think Republicans will use or reappropriate this anti-elitist message to win races in the future? Well, I think Ronald
3: Reagan would be is somebody who's um, you know I've been seeing there's a documentary out right now on Reagan which is very critical of him, but actually Reagan is what the Republican party needs an amiable conservative somebody with great communication skills and somebody you know he talked about less government is better reagan but actually government um programs increased during reagan's eight years but there he was able to be likable there was nobody um even in the press corps that dis disdained him there's a new biography about to come out on nancy reagan about how after reagan left office, Nancy and Ronald Reagan would hang out with Sam Donaldson all the time and share photographs. And Reagan didn't have this hatred of the press. And I think the Republican Party strategy of the mainstream media, it's like Nixon's enemies list and Nixon's Spiro Agnew's going to get the New York Times and, uh, and the rest is, is is problematic. Um, George W. Bush, Carl, famously said about um, John Adams when he read David McCullough's biography of John Adams, that McCullough was too easy on on John Adams, that Adams had run the Alien and Sedition Act, rounding up journalists all the time. And he said, I could have put away the New York Times, uh, but who? I wouldn't do such a thing, Bush, in in a kind of joke. And I think you've got to have a media-friendly Candidate not just playing to an echo chamber, somebody who you just can't roll out ABC, CBS, NBC. Reagan knew how to communicate to a larger audience with his media chops, and it'd be interesting if the Republicans could find somebody that has that Reagan quality. I find that to be Nikki Haley.
4: What the Republican Party needs is a leader who adopts the words of um, a famous Washington lobbyist, Cy Carum. Who said that, I have no enemies. I only have friends and potential friends. And I think, you know, when you think of the genius of Reagan, uh, it's that uh, Reaganism at its heart was a politics of friends and potential friends. Uh, when George W. Bush spoke of compassionate conservatism, it was very much in that, uh, in that spirit. Uh, that is the opposite of, uh, Trumpian, of a Trumpian politics of polarization and demonization of uh, his partisan uh, opponents and sometimes even of his, uh, of his partisan um, friends. Just imagine how much more successful Trump's presidency might have been from a conservative standpoint if he hadn't gone out of his way to um, ostracize and infuriate people like John McCain, who ultimately provided the decisive vote in saving, uh, saving Obamacare. So it would be it would be very good to have uh, a Republican who once again um, acts as a happy warrior uh, and not as a uh, as a as a kind of a, a scold and a nemesis to um, everyone he dislikes or everyone who has ever insulted him or said something mean about him on twitter
0: so here's an interesting question, and I'm going to throw this to Anthony first um, because it's kind of about looking at types of Republicans for the future. Todd O'Connor wants to know. Speaking of the Republican bench, how would you ascertain the chances of the Republican governors in blue states? You know, the the Larry Hogan's in Maryland, a lot of it in the Northeast. Your your region there, uh, Charlie Baker in Massachusetts, both of which are in blue, very blue states, phenomenally popular. Not part of the Washington stuff, but also by classic Republican primary standards, pretty. They use a dirty word: moderate. So,
1: you know, that kind of pragmatism, you think there's a future in the party? So I I do. I know that people are coming off of the Trump situation right now, and I'm predicting that there'll be a Trump hangover. By the time we get to the midterm elections, there'll be a lot of people saying, well, maybe the bellicosity of his rhetoric, the whole anger movement, the argument against the press was unnecessary. And I also fear that if we go in that direction, we're going to be an aging white demographic. Yes, we picked up some Hispanic Americans and African Americans, but not nearly the level where Karl Rove was running things in 2004 for George W. Bush. So for me, I hope that we go in that direction because I can see the Republican Party being an aging white demographic that buys catheters and MyPellows from Fox News commercial interruptions. And so That would be a horror show for somebody like me. I think those guys could open the tent, uh, and it could be a woman as well. It doesn't have to be just those two uh, moderate Republicans. But remember, something about Governor Hogan or Governor Baker, they know how to get along with the other side. And I think if there was one referendum message from 2020 is that the United States, the people of the United States, want a divided government. Look at the House seats that flipped over to the Republicans. It was clearly a referendum against the president lost by five-ish million votes. Uh, but the flip side of it is that they want a divided government, and I think that people would like someone like a Baker or a Hogan or that typecast, if you will, going forward. I think this sort of Trump populism is going to go the way of Joe McCarthyism. That's my honest opinion.
0: Anybody else? Okay, a great question from Alex Michelson, who's a, uh, one of our uh, broadcasters here does a great television show on politics in the California markets. And Alex wants to know, what's the smart political approach for Republicans in Congress and nationwide to deal with Joe Biden when he takes office? Is there any actual benefit to some bipartisan compromise in this hyper-partisan environment? And I'll add a a kicker to it, or is pure opposition the proven formula?
2: The, The find opportunities to cooperate and make things better where you can and oppose with solid arguments when you disagree. But the idea of I- instinctive opposition, uh, American people are fed up with it and they, they're not gonna stand for it. And Republicans will be rewarded by saying, we worked with him to do X, you pass a COVID relief bill. We worked with him to do Y, you know, infrastructure. We stood solid against these dramatic tax increases that would uh, hurt our economy at a time when we're trying to get recovery. And we did X, Y, and Z. Uh, easy to always go into mindless opposition, and, and, and President Obama made it easy for Republicans. There's that famous meeting in February of 2009 when the House Republicans come down and, and have suggestions on what ought to be in the stimulus bill, and Obama cuts them off saying, I won. Basically, I'm not interested in your ideas. Well, that made it easier for them to go into mindless opposition. It helped them in 2010 because of the opposition to the Affordable Care Act. If you like your doctor, you can keep your doctor. If you like your plan, you can keep your plan. But we've gone through that phase, and we're now in a place where I think part of the reason that Biden won was people said, you know what? He'll be normal, and he's a traditional Democrat, and he talks about Republicans without uh, putting an adjective or a swear word in front of it. So, uh, you know, that'll be normal, and the the Republicans would be smart to, to pick up on that. There ought to be, for example, look, Let him send forward his nominees. And if they are qualified for the job, you know, approve them, you know, 83 to to 12, you know, 92 to six. But if there are some that are problematic, ask them tough questions and vote against them. But don't mindlessly vote against each and every person that he sends up there because that's what we've got going right now. And it makes absolutely no sense whatsoever.
5: I think it's important that um, we cannot just be the party of no. We have to have our own ideas, And we have to find places where we can cooperate and get those ideas forward here in California. And I think what we're seeing with the Democrat Party at large is a huge push towards this radical side. So I think it's very easy to show the differences between the two parties. And so on the places where we can absolutely hold the line, we should absolutely be doing that. But people elected you to govern. So you need to go and govern, not just be the party of no, and make sure that anything that we can get done for the American people gets done.
0: Yeah, voters are screaming for it, and they will reward that. But let me let me finish up uh, by kind of landing this off something Jessica just said about the Democrats. They have a problem, and a lot of what the Republicans do, it's just naturally going to be somewhat connected and reacting to the Democrats. So Joe Biden had a nice big victory, but down the line, as we've discussed, not, not so much. There is clearly tension that broke out into the open on a telephone call between, you know, uh, the Democratic uh, House caucus, between their more moderates and their hardcore squad progressive left. And there's no doubt now that the Republicans did well in local elections by pointing out stuff like defund the police and some of the other more extreme things uh, that the, the progressive left Democratic Party it is clear that Biden's in, instincts are to go to the center and try to make some deals. He's done it before. But will he succeed? And how do we think that fight is going to roll out? Because, boy, it's going to totally affect the Republicans in reaction to it. What's our what's our take on the other party?
5: So right now, I would much rather be Leader McCarthy than Speaker Pelosi. Um, watching that whole conversation be live-tweeted, Um, You know, for Republicans, we were just eating our popcorn while it was happening. But um, certainly everyone of the, uh, you know, in the know type of commentators said that Leader McCarthy was going to lose somewhere between 15 and 20 seats. Um, Currently, I think he's at plus six. Um, there's about 13 more races that haven't been decided yet. I'm sorry, I don't have the Carl Rove whiteboard with me. Um, and he's leading in about 10 of those races. Um, so we could see a very real possibility where Speaker Pelosi's, it, it, you know, she's able to, to hold on to her coalition, where her lead in, in Congress is only single digits. I think certainly history has shown us that the party in the White House usually loses seats in the midterm election. Um, So I think certainly he's um, poised in a a very real position to be speaker in 2022 if he continues to do the things that he's done and that we know he's good at, recruiting great candidates and helping them to define their message within each one of their local communities. The
4: smart strategy for President Biden Will be to choose his spots where he's going to be able to pick off Senate moderates, uh, whether it's you know Mitt Romney, Lisa Murkowski, Susan uh, Susan Collins, uh, Ben Sass, a couple of other people. Uh, an infrastructure bill uh, would have a lot of broad broad support, and most of all, and I think most importantly, genuine immigration reform. Um, if he can if he can do that, if he can pick the low hanging fruit first. Um, he'll be able to go into the midterms with um, some genuine uh, genuine accomplishments to uh, to uh, to his name uh, that'll be tough for Republicans then to uh, 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 then to oppose on the other hand, I hope Republicans, just as Jessica pointed out, just as Carl pointed out, um, are prepared to make uh, smart compromises on behalf of the American people, understanding that they lost the last election are going to have to bend more than 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 they might had they won it.
0: So, by popular demand on the chat room, we're going to finish with a one quick roundtable quickly, please. Try to try to do this in about a minute or a minute and a half. Take us through the next 70 or 60, whatever it is days from tomorrow, through the Georgia runoffs, if you want to make a prediction, to inauguration day. What's going to happen? Any surprises, what's your take? I'll start with Carl
2: well um... First of all, let me just reinforce what Jessica said. Right today, the New York Times says, <laughs> plus six swing in the U.S. House. Uh, there's going to be one pickup in New York, one pickup in Iowa, one pickup in Utah. I think there are going to be three in California. That gets us to 12. So we go from 105 to uh, – to uh, or excuse me, 107 to, to close to 110, depending on what happens in a couple. We hold one in Louisiana. So I, I think the Republicans – first of all, I think the – the president runs out of airspeed and altitude next week when the states start to certify. These lawsuits are not being, they should have been filed last week, not this week. They're being filed this week and next week. They're running into certification deadlines. I don't think there'll be any case in which they find widespread systemic fraud. And so when the certifications start happening next week, the president's uh, uh, legal team is going to run out of, out of, out of runway. Um, we're going to have uh, a, we're going to have a virtual slash socially distanced inauguration on January 20th, and it will be celebrating the election of two Republican senators from Louisiana, actually from, as you said, Louisiana, but, but really Georgia. Uh, and, I put the uh,
0: whammy on you there.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. I said, don't make the same mistake Murphy made, whatever you do. Don't make the same mistake <laughs> Murphy made. But we'll win those two seats. And I also think we're going to find ourselves in a place where for at least a brief period of time, there's some potential for some bipartisan cooperation on things like stimulus and infrastructure and appointments, but then uh, politics is going to get a little tougher, and, uh, and it's going to be in part because the left of the Democratic Party is going to say, enough compromise. These are not our political opponents. They are our enemies. They are degenerates who are going to destroy America's democracy. We must do everything we can to uh, force our leadership in the House. And our leadership at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue to treat them the way that the, treat the Republicans the way that they should be treated and roll over them and force them into a corner, and politics will get slightly ugly, but particularly for Democrats in the House.
1: Anthony, take us from here to the inauguration. Well, listen, I, I, I do think the president is going to eventually capitulate. I hope it's next week, but it seems like he's going to try to run it a little longer. I'm saddened by the GOP, the fact that they're not pushing him more. I don't understand why they're acquiescing to him at this point. Uh, But I do think he does. And then I think that Carl's going to be right about the Senate. be less turnout in Georgia, and that will definitely benefit the two Republicans. And frankly, as a pragmatist, I like the mixed government, and I like the fact that the Republicans will be able to control the Senate uh, going into uh, next year. Uh, And I think that's how it's going to play out. I hope, I hope that people take the virus and the situation around it more seriously. And I think ultimately that'll be the president's legacy that he failed on the virus in a way that is unconscionable and somewhat punitive to the American people. Jessica?
5: So as someone from California, I certainly am not in a panic over election results taking a long time um, and is also someone who's worked on recounts Good. and contracts. Thank you, Murph. Um, when I worked for Senator Coleman, we went through March um, where we didn't have a seated senator from Minnesota. Um, so this isn't something that's uncommon. It's something that, you know, I think that for someone who's li- lived through the last four years where we saw hashtags of not my president and, you know, talks of Russian collusion, everything that's happening right now is in within the scope of what can happen and um, is perfectly legal. And absolutely uh, you know, as long as the president believes that there's some sort of path or that there's things that can be uh, uncovered with any of this. I think that we want more than anything, everybody to have faith in our elections Um, in California. In 2018, we were waiting up until Thanksgiving um, before we had some of our contests um, decided. We can receive ballots that are postmarked up until 17 days after the election day. Um, so this is something that is very common. and I don't particularly panic of, over any of that. So here in California, certainly we will be focused on um, our three congressional races that have not been called yet. Um, in one of our counties, there was already a COVID scare. So we have counting that is stopped until the 21st of November. So that uh, congressional seat likely will not be decided until then. I think in Georgia, you're going to see people from all over the country talking to Georgians. And, um, you know, for, for as a Californian, um, I want to make sure that what happens in Georgia, what's happened here in California doesn't take place Across the entire country, and that's why Georgia is so important. Um, and I think at the end of the day, both our Republican candidates there will finish successfully.
0: Brett,
4: well, I hate I hate predictions that are short term because people can remember uh, <laughs> what you, what what you predicted. But so I'll keep it brief. I think Donald Trump is going to uh, leave the White House with all of the class and grace and dignity with which he entered it. <laughs>
0: Well, I was depressed this morning because I read, I think, a pretty well-sourced article in one of the broadsheets, I can't remember which one, that Donald Trump, I believe, yesterday was musing aloud to staff about trying to get Republican state legislators to appoint phony electorates and essentially steal the election. You know, I'm, I'm an old geezer, but we used to call that treason. You can't get that guy out of the White House quick enough for me. I believe it will happen. I believe he knows. And the good news is he appears now to be obsessing less about Biden and more about Fox News to go start a streaming network or a shortwave radio station or an ice show or something Trumpian to go take on Fox, which I think is a perfectly good hobby for him. So, yeah, I think he's leaving the, the White House. Um, I think the reality will set in. As Carl says, the oxygen is going to be turned off by the system as things get certified. And then on to Georgiana where I think the Republicans are quite likely to win both, but there is a chance, a minority chance, that maybe one would pop the other way. We will see. And then we're having an inauguration. I think Biden will revert to normalcy. There will be some stuff passed with, uh, the, interestingly, the relationship between Joe Biden and Mitch McConnell. Uh, and then the left will revolt, and we'll be, we'll be back to American politics as we've had it recently. But anyway, I want to thank all of you for an exceptional job, for joining us at the USC Center for the political future. All right, thank you guys. Good to see y'all. Thank you for joining us on Election R&D. It helps us a lot when you subscribe and rate the show five stars on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast from. Follow us on Twitter at USC POL Future. That's USC POL Future. Follow us on Facebook and YouTube and visit our website for upcoming programs.